Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. One of my favorite things about this show is the chance to bring some of the best and the brightest minds to all of you. And I especially enjoy it when it's a good friend of mine. And my guest today has become a good friend, and his name is Ken Coleman. Ken hosts the top-rated Entree Leadership Podcast, as well as the highly acclaimed XM radio show, The Ken Coleman Show. Ken is a master interviewer, which is also reflected in his book, One Question, if you get a chance to pick that up, where he interviews some of the greatest thought leaders in our culture today. Ken You've accomplished so much, your resume is starting to read like a menu at the Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> Welcome to the show, bud. Delighted to have you. Oh, Brian, so good to be with you. I wish I was sitting with you in that gorgeous studio out in Southern California, but Middle Tennessee will have to do today, but yep. I'm privileged to be with you. Well, as you know, I married a lady volunteer, so Tennessee's yes. near and dear to my heart. Yes, sir. We have so much to get into today. I'm so excited to introduce our audience to you and just uh, the gifts that you bring to the table every single day and you are bringing it every day but before we kind of get into your sweet spot and what you're doing today Ken, let's talk a little bit about the backstory here i want to know where ken coleman hails from what's your story where'd you come from the early days through to today yeah, well, I come from two fantastic people, Ken and Barbara Coleman, the real-life Ken and Barbara. Nice. Sweethearts. <laughs> my dad is a pastor, has been a pastor my whole life, so I really grew up in the ministry. And uh, my mom, just a phenomenal servant and uh, compassionate lady, and grew up in Virginia, right on the coast of Virginia, uh, really the cradle of uh, American history, if you will, uh, right <laughs> close to Williamsburg for the history lovers out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, grew up in a home where faith was modeled, not just what people might think of as churchy faith, but an everyday faith that there was a reason that we were all here. Mm. And we needed to figure that out to the best of our ability and to give everything that we had with what we were given from our Creator. And that was really evident in my household. Hmm. And I saw it modeled with my mom and dad. And uh, so, you know, middle class, lower middle class probably. You know, my dad pastored small churches. My whole life still does. Hmm. So I didn't realize what we didn't have. He wasn't doing it for the money, let's just say that, right? No, he was not. And what's fun about that is, is when anybody asks me about my background, it is that economic reality that... I think, shaped me so very much. And because we couldn't afford to go to Disney and theme parks, we drove to battlefields and presidential homes Mm. and all these places. As you know, Brian, your family, I've had the privilege to spend time with your lovely wife, and both of you love history. And, you know, you can go to uh, historical monuments and battlefields and presidential homes on a pretty tight budget. (laughs) Yeah. And And in Virginia, they're all over. You can't go 10 feet without digging up a field full of Civil War people. (laughs) That's exactly right. I mean, I grew up practically walking the streets of Colonial Williamsburg. So (laughs) that was my childhood. Mm. Those early days were were shaped by faith and history. Mm. Where did the curiosity gene start for you? Because when you interview people, I've been interviewed by you many times. We're going to get into the technique of it a little bit because that'll be very helpful for some in our audience. But where did the curiosity gene come that makes you such a great interviewer? 
Yeah, it's a great question, and I don't know that I have a specific answer other than to say that every human being comes into this world with a healthy dose of curiosity. Hmm. You just think about it. Any parent that's listening in right now or grandparent, just go back to those early days, or if you've got a grandbaby rolling around right now in that toddler age, they're like question machines. Mm -hmm. And it's because they just are trying to get to the bottom of everything. This world that we come into is so vast and so interesting, so we're hardwired to go, why does this look this way? Why does it smell this way? Why is this hot? Why is this cold? You know, all those things. And when we think back on that, it's kind of amazing that some research that I found from the University of Michigan when writing my first book, One Question, is that by the time the average American, Brian, reaches the eighth grade, they are asking one to two questions a day. Mm. That's it. And that is profoundly sad. And at the risk of sounding melodramatic, I think it's tragic. Hmm. And the reason is, is because if we're hardwired to ask questions, our Creator created us with this intrinsic curiosity. And then somehow, the Western education system, I think, is to blame. I'm not anti-education. But if you think about it, we are raising kids to be test takers, mm-hmm. answer givers, sure. instead of pathfinders. And the very idea of being a pathfinder is to explore. Mm-hmm. And the physical act of exploration is also a mental act. Mm-hmm. When I'm asking a question, I am exploring. Mm-hmm. When I sit down with you, Brian, I'm exploring your system, your story, your successes, your failures. So all that to say, I think we're all very curious. I was no more curious, I don't think, than anybody else. However, I think the environment that my dad created which was a lover of history, Mm -hmm. looking to history to learn great lessons so that we don't repeat the failures. Mm -hmm. I think that that probably fed a lot more of my natural curiosity, and it turned into a joy of finding out how successful people tick. So I was reading biographies early on, and you can't help if you read as many biographies as I have in my life. Uh It kind of turns into an obsession. You just want to know how great men and women got where they got, because they didn't start out that way. And you can't tell history without story and understanding people's story and then understanding your own journey. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about what you were saying about kids. You know, we spend the formative part of their life trying to get them to stand up and talk. And yep. then the rest of the time is trying to get them to sit down and shut up. You know what I mean? That's so right. it's like, That's right. And it seems like your dad and mom did a great job of continuing to stoke the fires of that curiosity. And, yep. and it's turned into something special. Now, Let's take a next step here because we have a lot of friends in common. I know some of the buddies you met in college and what you've done and how you come. You didn't start out in the broadcast business. Kind of walk us through a little bit of where you went and how it turned into pursuing your dream in the broadcast world. Yeah, I went to college because I thought God had specifically called me into the political arena. Hmm. Uh, Because of that love of history that I just referenced, I became a lover of our country and and loving America's defining principles, its style of government, Mm. and just fell in love with it. And always was a communicator just by God's, you know, design. I've just always been a communicator and inquisitive and asking questions and talking about it. So I fell in love with American politics. I was sitting on the floor of my living room below my dad and his lazy boy watching a Ronald Reagan mm-hmm. 
1984. I'm 10 years old. I'm sitting there watching Ronald Reagan accept the nomination for his second presidential race, and I was enthralled, and I was completely enraptured in this man who I thought was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And that was the beginning for me, and so I pursued that. There certainly was a passion there. And so I went to college, Liberty University, which was you know a Christian university, but certainly had great opportunities for me to do internships in Washington, D.C. So I'm a freshman in 1992, and Bush Quayle are running against Clinton and Gore, and I'm driving up every Friday night to D.C. to work in their national campaign headquarters because D.C. and Lynchburg are not very far away. And that's how I got to where I went to as far as Liberty University, had a great opportunity to do internships, got into campaign politics during oh. school, ended up taking a semester off because I'm like, wait a second, I got an opportunity to work on a congressional race in 1994. I did it. I got a semester behind, Brian, and I went back to school, and you won't be surprised by this statement. And I don't want to offend anybody who just thinks college is the only way. But I got back to college, and I was like, what am I doing here? I just was out <laughs> on the real battlefield, yep. and now I'm back in the laboratory theorizing about the battle. Yep. And I've tasted the battle. Yep. Get me back to the battlefield. Yep. So I ended up leaving college. Yep. I never graduated. I went right into my field, and by the time I was 22, I was working for the governor of Virginia. So I, I wasn't a true dropout. I just was like, get me back to yeah. the battle. Well, I won't uh, set off all the incendiaries around. I got two boys going to college this year, but I will also say I'm a firm believer in what Jim Rohn said, that formal education can make you a living, but personal That's education right. can make you a fortune. That's and right. I graduated, and I graduated all my schooling, and I went to college, and I graduated there, but I did not become a student until I got into business for myself, and I didn't yeah. become a real serious student until I got married and had kids. That's when I really... <laughs> nothing will sharpen your desire to grow like that, right? That's, That's the truth. Okay, so you're 22. You're working for the governor of Virginia. How do you end up with a microphone in your hand? How do you go from there to there? Well, the fast answer is I did that for about two years, and I realized pretty quickly if I was going to run for office one day that I needed an actual business background. At least that was the sentiment in America at that time. Mm. An insider shouldn't run for office. You know, you needed a real you know leadership background if you want to lead people in government. So I took an opportunity to come to Nashville, Tennessee the first time and replace a mutual friend of ours, Bill Hampton, who I no. went to college with and really was my big brother and still to this day remains my big brother. He's the abuse. And, yeah, exactly. And it was a great opportunity to get into the private sector. I was booking speakers, so think of the professional speaking circuit mm -hmm. of which you've done. And so it was a great opportunity to get private sector experience, build a business resume, worked my way up there. John Maxwell, the leadership guru, many of your audience will know John and sure. his books, his teachings. John recruited me to come join him in Atlanta. We did that. That puts me at about 31. And I just began to feel like that politics was no longer where I was being pulled. And I wrestled with it for about a year. And I was wrestling with the fact that I knew that I had a public call in my life, that I felt like I was supposed to be in front of people communicating. Mm -hmm. But I, I knew it wasn't politics anymore. So I began to really walk through this with a respected life coach and guru and try to pull some things together. And, and it was then that I realized, wait a second, I want to be in media. I think the broadcast media, now not you know nightly news, but just mm -hmm. the idea of media itself, 
was the greatest way to impact people. And I'm sitting at home one night, Brian, on my couch. This is before kids. My wife was in New York with some of her girlfriends going to Broadway shows and caught the late version of Larry King Live, which I think on Eastern Time it replayed at midnight. Hmm. And I'm sitting there, and I loved Larry King because I was obsessed with interviews. This was right. long before I knew he wanted to do an interview. And I'm sitting there, and Larry has Oprah Winfrey on, and he says, Oprah, would you ever run for president? She goes, oh, gosh, Larry, no. Very dismissive. And it was so dismissive that it surprised him, and his follow-up question was, why are you so dismissive about that? And she went, Larry... I can influence more people on my show mm-hmm. through my magazine, mm-hmm. through my live events than I ever could as president of the United States. And yeah. Brian, it was like, and I'm not a spooky religion guy, yeah. but it was like God himself said, kid, I'm confirming what you're yeah. feeling. And it was then that I got tremendous clarity. And I, and I continued to play it out and pray about it and also do the work with a life coach and confirm that I had the chops mm-hmm. to be able to pull it off if I did the work. But that was the moment when I went, it's a microphone to the masses, not standing in the halls of Congress sure. in front of just a few elite. So you go through this path and so on and so forth. And now, you know, we're fast forward and you've had to earn your stripes. So right? you've paid your dues. Yeah. I think this is important because, you know, now you got this show that, you know, the, the Entree Leadership Show which is, you know, your affiliation with Dave Ramsey and the Dave Ramsey organization and how that's doing a phenomenal job with people like our audience, which is entrepreneurs, small business owners. I've been blessed to be on that show a couple of times. And now all of a sudden they call you and they go, we want you to have your own XM radio show, which is, uh, I think, in the broadcast business, you know, that that's kind of a big deal. Like when I saw recently, you two got a trial month on XM Radio, but Ken Coleman has his own show. I went, man, yeah. that's pretty something. Right. <laughs> right, 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 yeah. Me and Bono. Yeah, yeah right. Sure. No, not quite as big a deal, but yeah, it's, it's been a blessing, man. I mean, it's the only national show in America that's dedicated to helping people discover what it is they were put on this earth to do. Mm. And then how do you get there? How do you make that dream a reality? So I'm going to circle back on you here now. I'm going to Ken Coleman, Ken Coleman. Oh, I like Because I've been paying attention. So in, in some regards, what it seems to me is you are doing in a broadcast fashion what your father did for your family, that you were raised at a young age to go, okay, what's your reason for being here? Yep. And you are now helping a lot of people. And, and I want to dive in there for a second. We're, we'll keep back on our journey, but I think it's a great spot for it. This whole dynamic of, you know, why are we here? You've really developed a great affinity for having a purpose statement. And uh, I would just like you to dive into that here for a second, because I think it's such a powerful thing. I think so many people can blow that off because they've been in the hotel or they've been on the airline that has a mission statement that doesn't seem to be lived up to at all. I know for me, this is the game changer in my life. This is the game changer in my family and the game changer in my business is when I put together what would be my purpose statement. So I'd love to know your take on that, your insight and that why our listeners should have one. Yeah, I like to simplify it. Everybody has a purpose. Mm-hmm. Now, whether you're a person of faith, whether you think God is real or not, I'm not here to argue or debate that, but the reality is is that every person was created to fulfill a unique role. I think every person understands that. That's why the biggest question that most people will ask themselves in their life is something to the form of, why am I here? And the reason you're asking that question is because you know there is an answer. Right. And so that very word, why, is what purpose answers. A purpose statement for an individual and an organization always answers the question, why? Mm -hmm. Why are we here? The great companies, the great institutions, the great ministries, 
the great men and women of this world all were very, very clear on why they exist. Mm-hmm. And when a company knows that, you see tremendous results. They're the great companies, the gilded companies, you know, the men and women. They knew their why. And so the purpose sentence that I help our audience begin to draft is very simply constructed. Every person on the planet was uniquely created with talent. These are things that naturally you are gifted at. Mm -hmm. And then out of talent, we can develop skills. Mm -hmm. So for instance, if you have the natural talent of empathy, now some people call that a character trait, but it really is a talent. You -hmm. you just naturally see life through other people's eyes. You, Mm -hmm. You understand and you're compassionate. So that's a talent. Now, you can take empathy, Brian, and develop a terrific skill of listening. Mm -hmm. And through that skill of listening, you can apply that in multiple different careers. So it's just a quick example of what I do best. So everybody has a couple things that they do best. They themselves, they're just talented at it. Now, that's talent. Let's flip it to passion. Passion is what I love to do most, what I enjoy doing most. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of times people... We'll kind of focus in on hobbies. I'm not talking about hobbies. I'm talking about work. Mm-hmm. If you think of a task, a role, a function, and you just see yourself doing it and you get excited, your pulse, your heart quickens just at the idea of doing it. Or when you're engaged in it, time seems to just fade away. You look mm-hmm. up and two hours are gone and it felt like two minutes. Right. Everybody has experienced this on some level. So that's the construct. My talent is what I use to perform my passion. Mm-hmm. And so I help people with the purpose sentence, and it goes something like this. I'm going to use my top talents of blank, 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 whatever. Fill it in. To do the work of blank, or to perform the role of blank. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you begin to write that out, it could be 45, 50,000 feet. I always tell people to do it with the number two pencil. Because you know this, Brian. In fact, I've learned a lot from you about the power of intentionality. When you begin to fill out those blanks and just write that sentence, and some people can do it right now. Or if you know where you're supposed to be and you're there, your kids don't. And this is a great exercise with kids, teenagers, 20-somethings, friends and family that are just wandering in life. You write out a purpose sentence, and you look at that every day. And mm-hmm. each day that you look at it, you redraft it, and what will happen is you will get clearer and clearer. And you begin to bounce that off of other people who know you very well, who tell you the truth, and help you get further confirmation that you're telling yourself the truth. And what happens is tremendous clarity, Brian. And mm-hmm. you know this. Yeah. When you're clear, you're confident. Yeah, that's and great. When you're confident. So here's what happens. Clarity breeds confidence. Mm-hmm. And confidence breeds courage. Right. I'll stay with it. I'll face my fears. I'll stay with the storms. I'll I'll hold in the storms of life when I'm clear and I'm confident. Mm -hmm. Because it's those two together that give me courage. Right. You'll hang in. I feel like quitting. So I'll speak autobiographically to this and, and going through this process years and years ago. And it took time and time. And it's amazing, as you know, how much time and energy you need to spend to get to simple. You know, to get to the point where it's one sentence. And I spent a lot of time, many years, before finally I wrote, to impact and improve the lives of people. Okay? To impact and improve the lives of people. Well, if you just unpack that simple dynamic, and we begin every meeting with our hundreds of employees, what's our mission? To impact and improve the lives of people. They have it on their name badges. We have it on the walls. We have it everywhere. But here's the dynamic. So, okay, now what do I do with that? Now, my talent was communication presentation 
So I'm going to use my talents on the front end to impact. That's right. Okay. How do we improve? Well, we need coaching. We need training. We need resources. And so today with tens of thousands of members and all this type of stuff, it's still impact. It's still improve. And so you start at 40,000 feet, but the more you look at it, like you say, the more you dwell on it, the details become apparent. The how-tos become apparent. Okay, this is the talent. This is the passion. This is the skills that need to be developed both individually right. and then as, as organizationally. That's right. You know, I had a meeting here the other day. We have all these high-flying consultants in here, and we're getting out for the next five-year vision for Buffini Company. And it still revolves around impacting and improving. And the day we stop doing that is the day the doors will close. That's exactly right. Let me play off of this. I want our audience to think about Brian Buffini. If I'm meeting with Brian Buffini 30 years ago and we're trying to craft your purpose sentence, we're looking at your top talents. And there's no question right. that communication is one of your top talents, the ability to just communicate. But I would also venture to say that one of your top talents is just you're great at analysis. You're able to see the complex and not only see it, but then communicate the simplistic solution. I mean, I know you well enough to kind of fake my way through this. Sure, yeah. Those would be two of your top talents, right. too. Right. So if we just were stuck on the top two, and then we said, well, what's your passion? You said, well, I want to help people. And then right. I push you a little bit. I'd say, okay, everybody wants to help people. I get calls like this all the time. I say, okay, let's get some clarifying questions on passion. First of all, who do you most want to help? Mm-hmm. And then I'd say in the same question in a different way. What problem do you most want to solve? Right. And here's a, the question said uh, just a different way. Same question, different way. What solution do you most get jacked about right. providing? Right. So who do I want to help? Who do I most want to help? Right. What problem do I most want to solve? What solution mm. do I most want to provide? So here's what happened. So young Brian Ruffini figures out he wants to help you. So he gets into real estate. Well, you are. You're using your communication ability to help people buy right. the right home for their family. That's a huge deal. But then you kept playing with it. And you wanted to impact and help people. So then you wanted to help those other realtors do their business better. And thus the genesis of what is now a way bigger vision and a still evolving vision. So I want people to understand that purpose sentence does need to be worked on, but you keep refining it and refining it and refining it. And the passion is the hardest thing for people to figure out. But again, if you just keep it simple. My purpose sentence is simply this. My sweet spot is where I use my greatest talents Mm -hmm. to perform the work that moves me the most, that gives me great meaning, satisfaction, significance. And when you realize that it's actually not about you, that getting in that sweet spot and performing your purpose Mm -hmm. is not about you, it's about those you bump into. See, that's the beautiful play of this whole thing. Because I'm interviewing the great interviewer who naturally just transitioned to the next part of the interview. <laughs> so I should just kind of shut up and just play the theme music. and let, You know what we should do, Ken? You should interview yourself. That would be an awesome interview. Oh, it would be terrible. It would be a train wreck. It would be a train wreck. I wouldn't know when to stop asking. Well, again, perfect, though. Let's talk about this concept called a sweet spot because it's another passion of yours. You know, I can say our mutual friend, Bill Hampton, as we've had conversations, and here's a, a super high-level guy who's consulted with Buffini and Company and helped us. Bill Hampton is the reason we have the Brian Buffini Show and the Emigrant Edge book. And brilliant, brilliant guy, good friend. But when Bill talks about finding his sweet spot, it was like, here's a super accomplished guy that had achieved all these things that kind of got to a place where he was burned out. With your help, rediscovered his sweet spot. Man, it's been like uh, literally a man reborn, like a kid in a candy shop. 
That's right. And this is obviously for all of us. When we find that sweet spot, it's like it's the most powerful thing. You know, we both come from the same faith tradition. And Solomon, who was one of the wealthiest people who ever lived, at the end of his life, they asked him what the definition of success was. And he said, a man who has enough to eat and drink, has a roof over his head, and loves the work that he does to such a degree that he can't tell the passing of one day to the next. That's right. And I think of like when I was a kid growing up and it was summer. You couldn't tell what day of the week it was. You just kind of got lost in this place. And I find that in my work life a lot of times, not in everything, and I think this is important for people, not everything's rainbows and sunshine, but when you're working inside your gifts, you're working inside your purpose, you can't tell the passing of one day to the next. My staff will laugh all the time. I'll be in a meeting and I go, what day is it? And they'll say Thursday, and I'll go, I thought it was Tuesday. (laughs) That's exactly right. Somebody will say sometimes, hey, have you thought about uh, your schedule on Thursday? I go, are you kidding me? It's Tuesday. I can't even (laughs) think about Thursday. I'm having too much fun on Tuesday. I mean, I'm up to my eyeballs right now in a good way. And I want to just add one thing, and I'll I'll answer that sweet spot question. But the thing that people need to understand, this phrase that's out there, it's this grotesque American phrase, and it was meant well, Mm -hmm. but it's awful, and we need to destroy it today and put it on the ash heap of history. This idea that if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Right. It's just complete hogwash. Mm-hmm. No, if you love what you do, you'll work harder than you've ever worked in your life, but the difference is you don't burn out. Right. Because you go home not exhausted because it yep. was painful. You go home completely spent. Mm-hmm. There's a difference. Mm-hmm. You spent everything you gave, everything you had, and boy, it takes nothing to fire you back up the next day. Now, you still need vacation. Yeah. You still need family. Mm-hmm. You still need to be growing and learning from others. But the point is the work itself, you can spend yourself, as Theodore Roosevelt so eloquently said, spend yourself on a worthy cause. Mm-hmm. And that is what the juice is about. And so that's the sweet spot. So the sweet spot is a simple analogy one of my mentors gave me. And he said, it's where your greatest talent and your greatest passion intersect. And I've just turned it into that purpose sentence. So say that again. That was some buttes there. So say that again. So your sweet spot is where your greatest talent and your greatest passion Mm. intersect. Meaning, and I've just kind of dumbed it down further into this purpose sentence because I want people to get that it's a simple formula of discovery. And so when you are using your top talent to perform your great passion, you're in your sweet spot. Now, this is important. I want people to get this. The sweet spot itself is a powerful analogy because it implies a sphere, a circle, if you will. Mm-hmm. For those of you sports fans and non-sports fans, you can get this brilliant analogy. And that's where this phrase comes from whether it be a tennis racket, a golf club, or a baseball bat, or a hockey stick, Uh when that instrument strikes the ball or the puck and it hits it on the sweet spot of the bat, you can go look this up. Uh Tennis players, golfers, you know, even bad golfers like me, I've hit shots before that I didn't even feel. Right. I swung hard, but I never felt the ball hit the club. Or I remember high school baseball, I had one hit, one hit where I didn't even feel it. Uh And it's because the ball hit the perfect part of the bat. Everything came together beautifully. And here's what's cool about that. Not only do people get that analogy, but there's a guy by the name of Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. Mm-hmm. He's Romanian. Yeah. And he's done 30 years of research on this, and he's come up with what he calls flow. Right. Won the Nobel Prize for it. Well, that's right. And there's a TED Talk on it. Yeah. And so in the sweet spot, inside of this circle, is where we experience flow. Like you talked about, you described it beautifully. It's where we don't even know what day it is. Mm-hmm. 
And so here's the thing. Go back to Bill Hampton, the analogy that you used, example. So Bill was in his sweet spot when he was working for Dave Ramsey. Bill is also in his sweet spot when he's consulting Brian Buffini. Right. He's also in his sweet spot as CEO of Woodtex. Mm-hmm. So here's what I want people to understand. In the sweet spot, there might be three, four, five, six, seven roles or careers, but they're all there. Yeah. And that implies growth. Yeah. Because the sweet spot for 20-year-old Brian Buffini is not the sweet spot for 40-year-old Brian Buffini. Right. And so we need to understand that as we continue to grow in life, and this is a temptation that I will face, we all will face as we experience growth, I've got to make sure that I'm always saying yes to the best, and the way I do that is, is I stay in my sweet spot. I might get some opportunities to do something, and it may not be in my sweet spot, and I better have the discipline and the maturity to realize it and stay in my sweet spot where I'm always using what I do best to do what I love to do mm. most. That is my duty. Mm. You know, I say this to people on the radio all the time. It's become a social media mantra. I believe that we were all created to fill a unique role. It is needed, and we must do it. Mm -hmm. Somebody in the world needs you, men and women that are listening Mm -hmm. right now, to be the best you. Mm -hmm. Not try to be Brian Buffini. Don't try to be Ken Coleman. Please, I'm doing a terrible job trying to be that myself. (laughs) You need to be you because somebody out there needs you to be you. And I think when we grasp the weight of that, I think it'll allow us to stop looking outward all right. the time and look inward, because that's what this process I'm describing right. requires. I believe the Creator told us what we need to do. We just need to discover it. We have a phrase around here that says, just being yourself is good enough to be great, and I think that fills into that that's right. unique role. It's interesting you talked about the sweet spot there, brought to mind a good friend of mine. His name is John Brockington. Brockington won a national championship for Woody Hayes in uh, Ohio State. He was a fullback that weighed 235. He was heavier than any lineman he played for. That's how the world has changed. And he was with the Green Bay Packers. He was rookie of the year. In the first four years in the pros, the only guy around for more yards was O.J. Simpson. So he plays nine years in the NFL. He's had this incredible four-year college career with Woody Hayes. And after football, he was lost for a long time because, and I'm bringing this up because I, I want you to address this for somebody. He had a sweet spot inside football that he thought was football. And I would talk with him, and we would go to breakfast together and have lunch together, and I would keep challenging him. I'd go, John, it's not just football. Football's over. It's about the next thing now. And those gifts, it was, what about football did it for you? What is it about that, and how could that recreate itself? Today, John Brockington heads up a foundation to help people do organ donation. Now, what happened for him was, he was actually with me and my bride. He got sick. Got very sick. We took him to the hospital. Turns out he had serious uh, kidney disease. And we had to go through this whole dynamic, and he couldn't find a donor, couldn't find a donor. And believe it or not, it was this small little white gal who was the head of the Green Bay Packer fan club in San Diego. Wow. Donates her kidney to John Brockington. They later get married. So here's this 6'3", 250 black guy with this five-foot-tall little white gal (laughs) who had oversized kidneys. He had undersized kidneys. They were perfect. And all of a sudden, going through that near-life-and-death experience, he went, okay, there's a need here. There's something I want to do here. John Brockington is like a man reborn 
It took something difficult to find that sweet spot, but he's more engaged than he ever was as a football player. And for years he thought, I'll never be that fired up again. I'll never have that passion again because football ended. And today, organ donation is where his passion lies. Maybe you can speak to that a little bit of why, you know, there's different seasons for our sweet spots. It's not just one thing. And sometimes we have to have the courage to move on to the next thing. That's exactly right. Well, it's a great example, actually. I don't know of a better example of how his season in life changed his why. Mm -hmm. So he leaves this season where he is a professional football player. Mm -hmm. And boy, my heart goes out to a lot of these professional athletes. And I'll tell you the group that my heart really goes out to, and I'm still searching for a way to help. But my heart goes out to these men and women that are in combat, Mm -hmm. that are in traumatic combat situations. They're so intense. They're so well-trained. They live in a different world, Mm -hmm. and none of us can understand the world they live in, the mental and emotional duress they go through, and they come back, and they feel like, because the environment is so different, they feel like they have nothing to give. Mm -hmm. And it's to your point, they do have a tremendous amount of talent and experience that can be applied Trauma aside, you know, the emotional, mental help they may need because of the trauma aside, they can be productive. So what happened was, with your friend's example, is he has this new season, and he's floundering a little bit and wandering and wandering, and then a massive amount of pain Mm -hmm. develops a new passion. I have callers all the time, Brian, that call in and they're not sure what they want to do, and I start digging into some things, and we find that their true passion comes from pain they had in childhood. Mm -hmm. And so out of great pain sometimes comes tremendous passion. And that's what happened with your friend. So what happens is he develops a new why. And if you remember the three questions I gave to you in the Mm -hmm. audience a few minutes ago, what problem do you most want to solve? Well, for your friend, it was organ donation. Right. Which people do you most want to help? He's like people who need an organ. The families that are attached to those people, they're terrified. They're anxious. He wants to be a part of that solution. And so he found a new why, but he's still using the same intrinsic talents and developed skills that previous life experience gave to him. Right. So the why can change. And sometimes doesn't it get down to also trying a bunch of stuff? Yes. Early on, certainly. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for me, the speaking thing, it was never in my purview. I was at this church in San Diego that had 40 masters of divinity in a congregation. They asked me to teach an adult Sunday school class on business. And I was like terrified. I'm like, these guys are all professors and this and that, and they're quoting Hebrew yeah. and Greek. And I'm, what am I doing? I'm 23 years old. What? But when I started doing it, it was like this tuning fork went off inside me. It was like, that's it. I don't know what that was, but as nervous as I was, and I don't know how great I was, there was something about that that just felt right. Yeah, I remember the first time you told me that story when I came mm-hmm. to spend a day with you a few yeah. years ago. And I love that you actually call it a tuning fork. Because if people really get what you're saying there, that's what it feels like. Mm. It is undeniable, and you craved more of it. Mm-hmm. And you probably were slightly less nervous, but still pretty darn nervous, maybe borderline nauseous. But when you started speaking that second time, mm-hmm. a lot of that goes away. And that's the thing that we're talking about when it comes to passion. What makes your heart come alive? This is the creator, in my opinion. He's smiling, he's throwing his head back and laughing, he's going, that's exactly what I created you, that's why I gave you a heart, that's why I gave you emotions. Mm -hmm. We are not this just unintentional blob. We are designed, and folks, again, you don't have to ever darken the door of a church, Mm -hmm. but you cannot deny design. 
And when you experience something like Brian's talking about, and Brian's the same way for me, when Dave Ramsey first asked me to, to host his show two and a half years ago, I'll never forget it, because of course I'd never hosted a show that large. It's the third largest show in America, mm. 13 million people. And I'm sitting there going, this is something I've dreamed of. Now, I didn't dream of hosting Dave's show, but here it is. Dave, trust me, he's going to put me in this chair. And I'll never forget being pretty darn, you know, nervous. Not about the function of hosting the hour. I had done that many, many times. I knew what to do. But I was like, this is Dave's chair. This is a massive seat. A lot of people in the company are wondering if Dave has lost his mind. It's mm-hmm. bad pizza. And I knew there was pressure, and I felt it. But you know, the minute that I started the show, all that went away. Mm-hmm. And it was like I was sitting in a hot tub, you know, <laughs> talking to my pals, watching football. Mm-hmm. It was that comfortable. Why? Because I love that pressure. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm a freak, and so are you. You and I are freaks. Let's be honest. We know the general population. They're terrified of public speaking. Sure. They'd rather die than speak publicly. But something about a few of us wackos out there, the pressure of performance is something we enjoy. And so you've got to embrace that mm-hmm. and go, okay, I'm a performer. At the end of the day, Brian Buffini's a performer, and so is Ken Coleman. Now, that's not all that we are, but sure. that's a large portion of who we are. So now you embrace that and go, now, how do I want to perform on purpose? Mm-hmm. And for me, I didn't want to do sports talk radio. I didn't want to read a teleprompter on the nightly news. I want to do media that matters, that has an impact on people. And you certainly are. You know, I'm sure there's a bunch of people right now who would love us to delve in for another 60 minutes and delve into how do I get that passion, how to get that purpose. I think uh, the Ken Coleman Show on XM Radio, if you guys want to listen in and really delve in here with Ken more and more of you know, maybe finding out your why, understanding, are you in the right fit? Are you in the right career? Are you in the right job? What do you want to do with your life? And if you're a business owner, the Entree Leadership Podcast is awesome because you bring so many cool guests on there. You have so many business leaders, so many thought leaders. So you're doing your thing. You're in your sweet spot, Mr. Coleman, and providing great value. I have kind of a tradition here that we've asked all kinds of unbelievable people, five little rapid-fire questions. And uh, I want to kind of hit you with this. And, you know, maybe we get a chance to do this again, Ken. I think we could do uh, probably five or six of these and and people wouldn't get tired of it. But I'm after the Ken Coleman piece first. We'll get the Ken Coleman show second. So let's just go through rapid fire. Number one, what's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Your time will come. Mm. Awesome. Who from gave that dad. to you, by the way? Was your dad? From my dad. It was because I've always been super ambitious and wanting the harvest uh-huh. to happen too soon. And he told me that as a seven-year-old in soccer, and it has come true in every decade of my life. <laughs> Time will come. Well, it certainly has. And your dad, i got to meet this guy. I think I need to have a sit-down <laughs> with him. Next, yeah. what one talent or gift do you wish you possessed that you currently don't? I wish I could be so much more organized. Mm-hmm. There's some people that are so processed and yep. just detail-oriented, and I am the opposite. I'm a train wreck and a disaster, <laughs> and thus I cause great blood pressure issues for myself and those around me. I wish I was better at detail. The good news is it's a skill that can be developed, my friend. That's exactly. good news. Exactly. Right. Number three, what book has been most instrumental in your life? Oh, Wow. Probably a book I read when I was 17 going into college. It was a graduation gift. It was a book by a guy named Harvey McKay. Oh, yeah. It was entitled Dig Your Well Before You're Thirsty. Yep. And, you know, I could probably answer that differently every five minutes. Sure. I, I think excluding the Bible, yeah. that book 
it shut me up for life. Well, he's a good friend of ours and a great guy. Right. He's best friends with Lou Holtz, and they have these That's legendary right. golf matches where they <laughs> beat each other to a pulp on a regular basis. But That's great. Harvey, he's spoken at our events. Brilliant guy, brilliant guy. Okay, favorite song, favorite music. It's like, what's the... Your kids are in the back. You got the 12 year old, the 10 year old, the nine year old, and they got the eye rolling because dad's playing his song again. What's it going to be? Oh, boy, this is another tough one to, to single out. Yeah. I will do it. I'll say, Don't Stop Believing. Come on. Nice. I love, the, I love the lyrics. I love the music, the guitar solo. I wish I could play it. Nice. He's from right out here in San Diego, by the way, Steve That's Perry. Right. That's right. Last one. You don't get to do it much anymore, but you're sitting down one night, you're vegging out, and you're scrolling through the TV channels. And there's a movie that's come on, and you've seen this thing a bunch of times, but every time you see it, you stop. What's the one movie you've watched over and over again? Without question, it's Hoosiers. Oh, there we go. About the little uh, Indiana basketball mm-hmm. team. It's my all-time favorite, no question about it. I've got the whole thing memorized. Of course. Well, it's the ultimate yeah. uh, underdog story, and the pastor's kid from Virginia has become the ultimate underdog story and now here he is uh, decided not to run for the white house because it would have been a smaller house and now he's uh doing entree leadership and representing the dave ramsey organization doing incredible work there and changing the world and changing the financial world for people and now on the ken coleman show on xm radio ken you're helping people find their purpose and their passion and uh making the world a better place it's an honor to call you my friend i know you blessed a lot of people here today I hope folks check that out, and, and maybe we can even get to do this again sometime and take oh, it to the next level. Well, the honor is completely mine. I look up to you. You're somebody that models the way for me, and you're mentoring me from afar. I'm grateful for your friendship, grateful for this time to be on the show, and uh, hopefully we've added value to people. But I'll do this any day of the week and twice on Sunday. You bet. Well, we may do that, and we may do it twice on a Sunday. Thanks so much, Ken. I so appreciate you. And I hope you guys uh, get a chance to check out Ken's show. He is the real deal. He's a good man. And he's in his sweet spot. And he's blessing a lot of people. And I I hope you were... I I have pages and pages of notes that I took here today. And I know Ken. And I've read all his books. And I listen to the show. And he's interviewed me a bunch of times. And I have, I think, four pages of notes here. So hopefully this has been a real blessing to you. I hope you listen to it over and over. I hope you share this with a friend. This show is enjoying a phenomenal growth because you guys have organically referred it to your friends. I hope you'll do that. So thanks for joining me today. And before I let you go, I'm going to hand you over to the sexy sounds of our producer, Mr. David Lally. Well, I'm not sure what to say to that, Brian. I I do know this much, though. That was a fantastic interview. And thanks to Ken Coleman for joining us today. It was about time we got you two together again. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you liked what you heard, there's plenty more where that came from, so be sure to hit the subscribe button. When you subscribe, you won't miss a show. It'll download right to your phone every Tuesday. We get a lot of communication from our listeners around the world, and on each podcast, we like to share some of what we hear from you guys. Patrick Tharp wrote to us recently, Brian, hello. Today, your podcast reminded me I needed to write a thank you note to you. I first heard you on the Entre Leadership podcast picked up your book, The Emigrant Edge, and have been a regular listener and promoter ever since. Thank you for speaking words of truth and encouragement to me and so many in our business. While I'm painting apartments now, your podcast feeds my mind, motivation, and spirit to press on and grow my chai business to one day become a national brand. I'm so grateful for you and your family. God bless. Thanks for your words, Patrick. It's great to have listeners like you tuning in to both The Brian Buffini Show and Entre Leadership. And for our final words today, we'll leave you with an Irish blessing from Brian's mom, 
trees. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. 